2: Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan.
1: Joe Biden has apparently won Virginia, and Vermont went to Bernie Sanders. I guess no surprise there. Um, so tonight we'll sort of be commenting and, mo- and and monitoring the results as they roll in, um, and also discussing. Um, the national uh, election dynamics as they're playing out locally and also local elections. Because remember, next Tuesday, uh, March 17th, is when you all get to vote. Uh, you can early vote now. Uh, but uh, election day in Illinois, primary election day, is March 17th. So uh, you can register at the polls if you're not already registered. Um, and uh, yeah, make sure to vote by March 17th.
3: All right. Uh- so I'd like to get the the panel started. I'm going to go begin with Del Marie. Del Marie and I have known each other for quite a while, and we've been discussing politics for quite a while. Uh, and I guess sort of a general theme that we have, Del Marie, that you, you and I have talked about so much. Jeanette and I have talked about this as well, is uh, essentially the Democratic Party uh, and their strange relationship, if you will, with the black community, with black voters in general. Uh, I, I would, before we get started talk about Bernie's relationship uh, with the black community and Joe Biden's relationship, could you just do a little history lesson? Because you were with Jesse Jackson. This is really important. I always like to, to point this out. You were with the Jesse Jackson campaign in 1988. I know that's ancient history for people other than you and me. But uh, I think in so many ways that was such an important campaign. Because not only was Jesse Jackson running sort of as a black nationalist campaign, but it was a very left of center campaign, not unlike the Bernie Sanders campaign. I always like to point this out when people tell me the black community is more conservative, and more practical, and more pragmatic. Why don't you talk a little bit about the the significance of the Jesse Jackson campaign?
0: So I was on uh, Jesse Jackson's campaign in 1988. I was his national traveling press secretary. And the campaign was a people's campaign, if you really want to talk about uh, what it was. And it was about issues that affected people every day. And at the time, the farmers were having a very, very tough time around, I guess, 1984 to 88. And Jesse Jackson was one of the few people who was actually with the farmers. He stood with them in Washington when nobody else was really standing with them. And so ironically, when he ran for president, Many places we went, um, the farmers, the white farmers, were there with him, waiting for him, supporting him. And so he brought a coalition of people together, that's hence the Rainbow Coalition. He brought a coalition of people together to support his candidacy that had never come together before. And in 84, he, he, I guess that you can say that, that was a trial run. Because 88 was a professional campaign. He really was professionalized everything he learned in 84. And so they started to take him seriously uh, when he, well, he won Vermont. And that was the first white state uh, that uh, he won. And so all of a sudden, they started taking him seriously. But then they really took him seriously um, later on in the campaign when he won Michigan. Because all the pundits said, that uh, there was no way a black man would win a northern industrial state. And then he won Michigan overwhelmingly. And uh, it was so funny, because when you talk about the uh, the Democratic establishment, um, you see all these candidates now suspending their campaigns. Nobody ever suspended a campaign. You were either running or you weren't. There was no such thing as suspending a campaign. But Paul Simon suspended his campaign. And, he, and he, uh, that was, he was running in 1988, and he suspended his campaign because he, Jackson was doing better than Paul Simon. But when he got to Illinois, Paul Simon jumped back in the race. And he jumped back in the race because the party leaders had told him to stop Jesse Jackson. Because with a, both natives from Illinois being in the race, Paul Simon, of course, would take votes from Jesse Jackson. And at the time, Jesse Jackson and Dukakis were almost neck and neck in terms of delegates. And so he he sort of halted Jesse Jackson's momentum by jumping back in the race. And then, of course, after Illinois, he was there through Wisconsin. And then he jumped out again. But what was interesting about Wisconsin is after winning Michigan, everywhere we went in Wisconsin, people were flocking to see Jesse Jackson. And I remember they asked uh, Paul Simon's wife, what does she think about all of these students coming out in droves, much like Bernie Sanders, uh, to see Jesse Jackson? And she said, anybody can be charismatic. Hitler was charismatic.
3: Mm. Wow. (laughs) I forgot that one. (laughs) Wow. So so when you, you think about that, Jeanette Taylor, stop Jesse Jackson. It kind of reminds me of what I'm hearing a lot from centrists: Stop Bernie Sanders. Uh, do you see some parallels there?
4: Of course I do. When you Let me get a little closer. We get scared about the left and the truth. And so for me, I'm a sister for Sanders for a bunch of reasons. He's been doing that work since he's been in his teens. And so if you look at these other candidates, what have they done? Besides, make us choose between the lesser evil. Biden is getting a pass because of a Barack. Let's let's just say what it is. Bloomberg is paying thousands of thousands of dollars for your vote, really. But we know what he done in New York. You talk to the education advocates about his record when it comes to charter schools and the school systems there. So I'm not fooled. But also, the black vote has tooken, been taken advantage of. We, we have been taken advantage of to the point where some people don't even feel the need to door knock and come to talk to us in our communities And so anybody that that's Bernie that's Bloomberg anybody you have to work hard for the black vote and you should and so <laughs> Of course, he's gonna get the same Treatment that they got Jesse Jackson because they knew what would happen if Jesse got into office. He was gonna make this equal and Jess now Jesse ain't a saint, Let, let's not say that but his work speaks for himself Mm-hmm. he's been that done that and so this the thought behind this win in the state is because of Barack Let, mm-hmm. let's say what it is it's not because of anything he's done it's because we're co-riding and so for me Bernie is not that person and so it's why I, I ain't even have to choose between who I was going to go you can't sit and say you're progressive but then you're you're, you're adding more money to wars we mind the stuff that's not our business. You're not standing up for all the brutality that's happened in our communities. Black men get shot every day in this community, and as a black man, you didn't say anything. What did you do? Like you, you we talk, um, Trayvon getting killed, but what did you do? And so I'm not with, you're absolutely right about being charismatic. We can all take good talking points, but what did you do? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm curious. Uh, be, uh, this is, I guess, more of a question for um, for Jeanette and Kofi, as uh, kind of representing more left wing politics in the city. Um, there's a lot of talk about how Bernie just doesn't um, doesn't have the cachet in, in uh, among black voters that um, he doesn't have a chance with these other southern states after South Carolina. Especially, people kind of are seeing that as. Uh, of that prophecy, um, we're not going to know everything about uh, what's, how it's going to shake out in the South tonight, obviously, but um, I'm just curious, you know, do you, do, when you saw those South Carolina results, did you think that that was um, pretty indicative of how well the sort of more leftist progressive wing of, de- of the Democratic Party was going to do um, in, um, in states with a larger population? Do you think that was like the canary in the coal mine, or can it shake out differently?
2: Well, first of all, black people aren't monolithic, right? We always have to restate that we are very diverse in our opinion and our politics and, you know, what speaks to our needs. Um, I, I think if we look at policy-wise, uh, things that impact our communities the most that would be the most beneficial, like uh, for young people, you know, having student debt relief, uh, having free higher education, uh, for everyone, you know, having universal health care. Uh, I think those issues speak to our communities, especially like with Black women having, you know, high infant mortality rates and uh, us just not having access to health care. And the biggest burden of debt for a lot of people in America, you know, is medical bills. People lose their housing, lose their jobs because of medical debt. So I think we're going, you know, take the Black vote serious. Like Jeanette said, we have to look at who's in our communities organizing, door knocking. Uh, what I will say is definitely the media has been very one-sided and definitely pushing this narrative as if uh South Carolina was representative of all black people in this country. Uh and to me that's very problematic and it, it, again it doesn't speak to our diversity. But I would just say that uh, you know, and this is anecdotal, but I I was on a um I was in a conversation with my auntie. My auntie lives in Texas, and you know, I was just curious to see, you know, kind of where people are in Texas. So the first thing of course she tells me, well, this is a good old boy state. And I was like, true, but you know, beyond that, you know, where where are the Latinx voters, where are the black voters, where are people kinda leaning and standing? And um, she by default was like, well, sleepy Joe. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, do you realize that like derogatory term kind of came from Trump and et cetera. But beyond that, the the point of the conversation was uh, she didn't really know Bernie in particular, his his platform, his policies. And when we kind of got deeper into that, uh, she was highly interested in saying, wow, you know, I didn't know these things. I don't know how many people, how many voters are going to the polls really knowing uh, his policies and how that will personally impact them, especially around immigration, undocumented folks, et cetera. So um, i just say all that to say that uh, I think where Bernie has people on the ground, they're door knocking, they're getting the message out, you know, black people are going to listen. We want the, the person that's going to best represent our needs and push us forward. I think Bernie had problems for me personally in the beginning, uh, when he was pushing back against the around the reparations talk, um, I think he's come around somewhat. But outside of that, uh, I, I think we're more savvy than that. I think again we look at policy. I think we look at how it impacts ourselves, our families, and our communities. And to you know just depict it as we we look at what the media tells us, and you know we're going to go in droves. Um, is problematic. But also, you know, we have to look at voter suppression. And that's still very real in a lot of uh, down south uh, states where our, you know, it, it's difficult for us to vote. You know, there's still a lot of um, barriers in place. So black and brown people can't get out to vote. So we also have to take that into consideration.
1: But do you think he, that the Bernie campaign did a good enough job of doing that outreach in the black community because i feel like there so much attention has been on how popular he is among latino voters especially like in California or Texas, whatever, in the Southwest. Um, and uh, I am i don't know, I, I have the impression that the campaign paid a lot more attention to working class white and Latino communities than they did to black communities, uh, especially in the South. That seems to be, I mean, the, the big news was that there was going to be this big uh, extra campaign rallies they were going to have in South Carolina and, and kind of this big push that they didn't even anticipate having. Um, do you think this like Biden, Uh, Traction is a result of the Bernie campaign or the Liz Warren campaign or whatever other more leftist candidates just not, just kind of like not uh, doing enough outreach. And feel free to
4: jump in. Jump in whenever
2: you want. Go ahead. Well, I I was just going to say that, at least on a grassroots level, I know a lot of black organizers uh, in Atlanta, in Mississippi, um, in different parts of Tennessee out of Memphis that are organizing uh, specifically around Bernie's campaign. So I know folks that are personally out there door knocking and then using their platforms through social media to really uh, again promote the policies. Same thing with Elizabeth Warren. I know a lot of um, you know black organizers that have gotten behind her campaign and are are doing similar things. But uh, as far as like having that you know quantified and qualified I, I don't think I'm expert enough to say how the organizing is going in the South, but um, I do know that there has been concerted efforts, but, again, ultimately, again, what I've been seeing from the bigger media platforms like CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, et cetera. they haven't had people on to speak to that. They haven't had organizers on, they haven't had voices and perspectives to me coming from those communities to talk about you know, how these particular candidates speak to their issues. So I think there is a blind spot where we aren't able to you know, fully grasp and get that picture of how uh, these campaigns are impacting folks on the ground.
0: I think a lot of the campaigns have taken the black vote for granted as That's we fair. know. Uh, I mean, and that's nothing new, we know it happens every election. Um, But what we have seen even more so, I think this time, is this idea that all you have to do is write a report on black people, and that will suffice. So I've got the Frederick Douglass report, and I've got the Greenwood report, and I've got the so-and-so report, and that shows you that I know black issues, and I know what's wrong with black people. Black people have been the most studied people on the face of the earth. So we don't need anybody else studying us. All you need to do is ask us if you want to know what is wrong with our community. And we'd be more than happy to share it with you and actually take you on a tour so you can see for yourself because it's, it's not rocket science. You can go to the north side, you see amenities. You go to the south side, you see vacant lots. I mean, it's just easy as pie. There's, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Nothing is being invested in black, in black communities. Everything is being invested invested in white communities. Black communities are being depopulated. White communities are being repopulated. That's all you have to look at. Now, talk to us about how do we address that. And that's, and we didn't see any of that. We saw people who woke up yesterday and decided they wanted to run for president, and then they realized, oh, I don't have a relationship with black people, <laughs> and then wanted to downplay it. Oh, well, I don't need to have a relationship. I mean, Pete Buttigieg came to here right outside and had an event, and nobody went but white people. Right by my house. I'm like, oh, my God. He's right by my house, and I didn't even know it. (laughs) And I'm I'm political. So, I mean, that shows you there's a problem uh, with how these people deal with us. We are... A, an un, i mean, we're a, um, What do I want to say? We're an evil that they have to deal with. They would prefer not to deal That's with, right. but then they pretend that they actually care about us. Our vote. Mm-hmm. The difference in in that is that black people are not transactional. That's right. You have to have a relationship with us. That's right. You can't just have a transaction with us. And so. That's so why, and but that's why, <laughs> but that's why, uh, Biden is making some headway because black people feel they have a relationship with him, even though he's never done well. I mean, I was on the Jackson campaign in '88. He ran in '88. He dropped out. He ran in 2008. He dropped out. South Carolina was the first primary he's ever won in 30 years. <laughs> so, in his whole lifetime. So, but, but regardless of that, he's had a relationship with black people. Yeah. Unlike Bernie, unlike Buttigieg, unlike Klobuchar, unlike just go down the line, unlike Bloomberg, just name them. And so that's why he is coming out ahead among black people at
4: this moment. Yeah. But we've gotten to a place where you hear young people say, that ain't good enough. That... He has a relationship. Bloomberg had commercials with Barack, too. That don't make me want to vote for him. And so we, we are absolutely seeing it different. But what I also think we're not doing is reassuring that young people are actually voting. I, hear from young, I heard from young people the entire time on the campaign, what I'm voting for. They ignore us. They don't listen. What they going to do for us? I, the, the, the funniest thing happens to me all the time. And this is my first year in office. People say, you're giving out turkeys. You're giving out hams. I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to do my job. And let's build a relationship so it goes to what you're saying. But we got to get into a place where the, we, we got to be honest about what the Democratic Party has done to black folks. And it's nothing. They have played. They, they took advantage of our vote. They have not, they've gotten our vote, got into office, and then forgot about the people they're supposed to serve, which is why. An everyday person like me was able to slide right in the office. Yeah, I did the work and I organized, but at the end of the day, what we don't realize is that same relationship, the same way you knock doors to get me to vote for you, is the same way you need to come out and say, "Hey, we need to protect the interests of this community. What do you want to see? How do we how do we help young people? South and West sides are disinvested in, but who who has been in charge of them, them those South and West side wards? We have." I and so it's us <clears throat> being honest about the history of what we have not done, address it, and work to do something different. The biggest fight I hear from young people is what he white." I don't care if he's green. If he's going to do the work to make sure that, that that people like me don't have to pay student debt and I could afford things in my household, I'll take it. If he is the person who is going to say, Medicare for all, why I ain't paying out of my check every two weeks to pay for some insurance that I might not get to use, I'll take it. And so it's us sometimes getting color out the way. Color sometimes is the barrier. And don't get me wrong, I'm an unapologetic black woman all day long. That's just who I am. But at the end of the day, I want somebody in that office who's going to look out for all of us, and let's be honest, name a president that has.
0: Well, I agreed that color is not an issue. I mean, I worked for the first, uh, the first black candidate to run for president, and so I always thought there would be a black president. I thought 20 years before there was one, there would be a black president. So color is not an issue for me, it was an issue for me as somebody who's been out here long, as long as I have, and uh, I'm, on, I'm in the fourth quarter of my life uh, and so and I don't see any changes, in fact what I've seen is it get worse than, and not get better. Um, and I'm going to just give you a quick example of that. When Harold Washington was mayor, and we'll just use him as a marker, only as a marker, we had six black owned local banks. Mm-hmm. We This was the black hair care capital of the world. This was the black publishing capital of the world. We had more millionaires per capita, black millionaires per capita, than any other city in the nation. We had, um, uh, I'm trying to think it was one other, thing. oh, this was, uh, uh, we, look at the black newspapers we've lost. The major newspapers that we've lost, so the ability to tell our story, I don't care what black newspaper you pick up, there will be a story in there that you did not see in one of the white newspapers at any time. So we have to be able to tell our story, not tell our story through white people, tell our story through us. And so when you look at what we've lost in 30 years, That's all you need to know, that things are not getting better, things are getting worse. Oh, and we've lost 250,000 black people from the city of Chicago, more importantly, since Harold Washington died. Uh, And that's only since 2000 that we've lost the 250,000 black people. So when you see what's happening to us, and I agree with you, Jeanette, I don't fault Black, white people for what we've lost. I fault us, because we have not demanded anything else We've let people get away with murder. We've let people ignore us. We let people buy off people in our community who can keep us down. It is the same plantation politics that it has always been. And that is you have the house black people and and the field black people and the house black people keep the field black people in line and nothing has changed about that formula. That formula works for whatever reason, it continues to work and everybody uses it. And that's why we don't have anything.
3: That is Delmarie Cobb, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Delmarie, we've been having this conversation in one form or another for a long time, delving into uh, locally. We went from national to local, but the, that's your analysis, the yeah, it's, uh, pretty <laughs> we much talk all more the same. about the
1: local. <laughs> uh,
3: well, I mean we were, we have Jeanette Taylor here. We have the Obama Center right down the way. I mean, we could talk about th- this <laughs> continually going local. Uh, but I just wanted to go back to something you said and have everybody comment on this, because this is a Del Marie Cobb uh, favorite theme about relationships. I've been hearing this one for a while, and you're absolutely correct, I believe. But you've said this to me so many times, Del Marie. Might I just share it and elaborate a little bit about Bernie Sanders, just so you know, Delmarie's never been, like, at the forefront of the Bernie movement. I'll just put it euphemistically that way. Uh, I've been trying to get her to lean a little more toward the Bernie side unsuccessfully all these years. But you said something to me, I think it was four years ago, which is, uh, You think you may have repeated it about a week ago. Bernie Sanders had a crucial moment in his life, moved to Vermont. You talk about relationships, right? He moved to Vermont. How many black people live in Vermont, Delmarie?
0: So I always say that when Bernie talks about he marched with King here in Chicago (laughs) when he was a student at the University of Chicago, I said, isn't that interesting that the moment he graduated, he moved to the whitest state in the nation? (laughs) I said, so that had a lot of impact on him, didn't it? (laughs) So that's my first judgment of Bernie. Now, I don't dislike Bernie. I'm just not a Bernie fan um, because, I mean, I do know that there's a lot of people who don't look at everything in terms of his record. They're listening to what he says. And, you know, I, I mean, being in politics as long as I have, I mean, pie in the sky, I probably would have been a Bernie Sanders voter when I was... First
3: voting. You were basically when you were with Jesse, because it was the same platform.
0: It, well, it, was, it wasn't the same, it wasn't pie in the sky. Jesse Jackson's campaign was not pie in the sky. It was rooted in pragmatism. It was rooted in values, it was rooted in idealism, what we should want to achieve as a nation, but the, but the way to go about it was rooted in pragmatism.
1: Though, do you all agree that this is that that it's pie in the sky? What he, what Bernie's proposing? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem that radical to me.
0: Uh, d- well, I don't think it's <laughs> radical. I just think it's pie in the sky.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I can speak to it from this lens. Uh, I just got back from Cuba. I was there for about ten days. Uh, I was staying at the Martin Luther King Center there, and this particular trip was focused on race, politics, and culture. Uh, so I got to meet with several different people from different um, ministries, the Ministry of Education, uh, the Ministry of Health, uh, the Ministry of Culture, and then I got to speak to community leaders. Uh, I got to speak to a family doctor who, in her province, uh, she oversees about 100 or so patients um, and she sees them from, you know, being a little bitty babies all the way up to uh, adults and the elderly, etc. And one thing that really stuck out to me that she said is, you know, we were in conversation uh, about like what gets prioritized. So, for example, we pointed out that back in the States, you know, the biggest budget on a national level was the military. And then for Chicago, the biggest budget is the Chicago Police Department, right? And, you know, those two parallels um, are indicative of kind of where American values are. And she said, well, for us, health and education is important. So we put most of our money into health and most of our money into education. And the fact that a country that only has 11 million people uh, prioritizes making sure that everybody has free access to health care, uh, everybody has access to free education, free public transportation, et cetera. Uh, they have zero gun crime. Um, they have you know, the highest literacy rates. Uh, you know, The reason why so many people in Cuba are healthy is because they do a lot of prevention in addition to their intervention work. So, for me, uh, Bernie's platforms, Elizabeth, and the other people on the so-called left, to me, isn't left enough, right? Uh, You know, pushing to where our priorities should be. We should be, you know, in my opinion, we should be defunding the military, uh, defunding all of these other apparatuses that, you know, only cause harm in the world, to me. But, so, to me, it isn't sky in the pie. Uh, Pie in the sky, I should say. To me, it's very realistic if if we budget and prioritize, you know, where our values are, as you said. Um, and the Senate needs to flip too. You know what I mean. So if we can have a Congress that can back, you know, free universal health care, free public education, a green new deal. You know, climate change is something that's very real right now. And if we aren't preparing uh, to go to zero net carbs, if we're not preparing to you know, get off of big oil and, and have alternative energies and build industry out of that, uh, then, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, things are gonna be very problematic and, you know, very chaotic and, and more money is gonna go into wars and, and all these other kind of things because of scarcity and lack of resources. So I, I think we're at a critical time where we have to, you know, really push this idea that we should care about people's health and their education and their well-being and, and building an environment that's healthy and sustainable and having renewable energy. Uh, to me, if that's not the conversation, then the conversation is looking at more protracted wars, uh, more resources, you know, more you know, um, infectious diseases and all these other kind of things that we're seeing, you know, on a microcosm now. You know, I see it getting worse. Uh, you know, there's fears if the permafrost melts even more, we're gonna have viruses from millions of years come back. And, you know, so this coronavirus scare is is nothing to the potential pandemics that we can face in the near future. So those are the things I take into consideration, again, on a policy level, mm-hmm. because we know when America has a cold, black, black America has a disease. So if we aren't organizing to make sure that our communities, marginalized communities are secure and healthy, then we're gonna be the first ones that are gonna be hardest hit Hit, uh by all these different calamities that we're seeing happening right now in real time. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people understand that and are paying attention to it. And hopefully they'll put their vote behind somebody that that will stand up and address those things. And right now, you know, Biden has been very clear that, you know, he doesn't care about a lot of those things, in my opinion.
0: Well, I agree with everything you said. And and uh, I'm a. a Product of the of Vietnam War, so that was the first war I was confronted with, and was very anti-war. Have o- I have always been anti-war, anti-violence, anti-all of those things. So I'm all the things that you said. I was at Cuba, in Cuba too for a couple of weeks, so I, I I've seen that. You know, they have no crime and no drugs, and and I thought, just think, no crime and no drugs, and we have free will and look at what we've done with free will, what we've done with freedom. So I I understand all of that. But the bottom line is, we also have a country with a mentality that we have been sold a bill of goods in this country. And that bill of goods is survival of the fittest, a capitalistic society, and we are afraid of anything that says we're all equal. That is the environment we're in. And if you don't remember, all you have to do is go back to when Barack Obama first introduced the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. And there was panic across the country because the Republicans made people believe Mm -hmm. that there were going to be death panels and, and people were going to have their doctors taken from them and their medicine taken from them and all of that. And that you might have to wait to see a doctor because a poor person might get a chance to go ahead of you. And, and people were panicked. Understand that this is, this is the country we're in because this is years and years of being told that it is survival of the fittest. And we have no tolerance for poor people or people who have less than us or people we perceive as powerless or weak. That is the the mindset of this country. So that is what I'm saying when I'm talking about being pragmatic and pie in the sky. Is that if you don't address those things first, the culture of this country, it is pie in the sky to think that anything else is going to change. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, okay, let me just focus on what you just said, Delmarie. Just think about going back uh, to Obamacare and how this was basically a Republican plan, Mitt Romney's plan that Obama put out uh, because he had frozen out of the conversation anybody who viewed wanted a Bernie Medicare for all type plan. They are too radical. They are too disruptive. You want to keep the insurance companies in the room. You don't want them on the outside working against us. So this is a very pragmatic way. Roland
0: wanted a public option. Roland Burris.
3: One one senator, (laughs) one senator from Illinois who was maligned by the powers. Who
0: we ran out of of the Senate. Yes.
3: Okay. So. Sort of the governing attitude of so many of the people who run the Democratic Party is that we have to keep the left out of the room. We have to keep them away from the conversation. We have to keep them away from the microphones because they'll embarrass everybody. They'll say things that could be turned into talking points to use against us to make us look even more radical. And it's almost as though the Democrats... Like they lose the fight before the fight begins because they make all these concessions up front because they're so afraid of what the Republicans are going to be doing. I've been watching this for years and years. I see it. I see it. I hear it in the, the advice that the moderates and centrists are giving the Democratic Party now. Bernie's too radical. Bernie gets on the ticket. Uh, and, and I always say this to the Elizabeth Warren people: they're just picking on Bernie right now because he's on top. If it was Elizabeth Warren on top, they'd be saying the same thing. You, you notice how the Elizabeth Warren people kind of act like, "Well, yeah, I know we're not like Bernie. Oh, yeah, they'd be saying the same thing." So it's like it's a trick bag. Del Marie and that. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't get anywhere. Can you keep, you, yeah, you can't win for losing because you always cut your losses. You know, you always listen to the roms of the world who tell you, mm, sure. "This is what you got to do to win those swing voters." I don't, I don't, you know. After at some point, what goes is pragmatism just sounds like a losing proposition. Rethink, Jeanette.
4: I just always feel like when it comes to Medicare for all, tuition free, we always talk about what we can't do, but y'all can fund wars. Y'all, y'all can fund the corporations. And so anytime it's about low-income and working families, it's the things that we can't never do. And so this thought that he's too radical and he's too left, keep it up. These young people ain't scared of your dogs. They ain't scared of your water. They ain't scared of none of those things. We, we've neglected this, this, this generation, and we got to own that. We have. We have not done our due diligence. We've let them. Look at the Flint thing. Like, come on. These people don't drink and bathe in clean water. And we've watched this stuff happen on our watch. And so I totally agree with you. We haven't done anything, but we can't sit and continue to say, we're not going to do nothing. We got to get these folks up out of office. And this one, and I say to people all the time that I love you because I feel like it's people like you and Candace who are creating people who get up and say that's wrong. And so I'm in the fight right now in my life with my community around a community benefits agreement, and that's so that we can stay in a community that you disinvested in for years. and now you're about to get the shiny OPC. now you want to make it great. Where the hell was you when we, we had nowhere to eat? Where were you when we needed it when they were selling flaming hot and juice to our kids, where they don't have fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables? And so I tell people, we owned all the institutions from CERmac to 103rd. Now we don't own anything. And that's because of policies. How do you create policies that help one group of people but hurt another? And then put up your hands. Why the hell do we have all this violence in the community? Y'all the reasons why. Y'all the very reasons why we continue to fund the same crap over and over again. So Kofi has a great organization with some young people. He ain't never going to get a dime from the city. Want to know why? Because those young people stand up, he's doing what's right, and he's actually getting the people that impact. And I totally agree. How many more damn studies do you need to say that that black and Latino people Struggling and being gentrified in our community. I don't need no study. I lived it. Well, and so, too often, that is never part of the conversation. Or one thing that upsets me is I'm never asked. You'll go to somebody and say, what, what, are, what are your thoughts about gentrification? How the hell are they supposed to know? They ain't never been kicked out of our community. I have.
0: Well, one of the reasons I, I mean, I've been in your same fight. I fought against the Olympics. Because I was ground zero, so I know exactly. I live 35th and King Drive. I knew what was going to happen if the street, and I was five blocks away. I wouldn't be there now. So I've had that fight, and I've been a part of fighting the city hall. In fact, my whole career, my whole political career, has been fighting city hall. I often jokingly say, if city hall's for it, I'm against it. (laughs) And that's the niche that I found in politics, is that there's always somebody fighting City Hall, and they're usually the people I represent.
1: Well, I want to ask also, before we open it up to questions from the audience, um, what do you all think about – you know the primary coming up here in Illinois. How do you think the state is going to go? Who are we going to who are we going to go with? Um, and also, I'd love to know um, your thoughts about uh, Kim Fox's reelection fight um, and whether you think she'll be reelected. Um, it's probably the most important race on the ballot for us here in Chicago. I mean, whatever happens, you know, Chicago is not going to go with Donald Trump, obviously. Uh, but but this. Um, this race for a state's attorney has real has real consequences has it has real stakes and it'll be a big big difference whether Kim Fox gets reelected or or we have uh, Bill Conway in office. Um, so I don't know. You want to start, Kobe? Uh
2: Yeah. The irony for me is I was a few years ago I was very uh, hypercritical of Kim, uh, and prior to that I was also a part of the Bayanita campaign, uh, which was this campaign to not get Kim Fox in office, but to get Anita Alvarez out of office, because she was very harmful and problematic to black and brown communities. And she was in bed with police and helping police cover up crimes, essentially. So uh, when Kim Fox came around, um, she got elected. Uh, We were very, we, meaning like the people in the Movement for Black Lives, uh, working with families who lost loved ones to police violence, were hard on her office to look at cases that Anita Alvarez in particular had botched or purposefully sabotaged or just to look at new cases. Uh, So we were hypercritical of her office, in our opinion, for not doing enough to help families who lost loved ones to police violence and holding the police accountable. Um, With that being said, she did sit down with us. She sat down with families. Um, we did go through a process with her, and I felt like she was doing her best to be accountable and transparent. Uh, Obviously, she could do a lot more, but she, for the most part, has been, you know, proactive and getting in front of a lot of things. So, you know, recently, uh, when, you know, you start to see conservatives on the right and the FOP attack her, Um, you you really got to see how effective she was in her office, because you know, again, Anita Alvarez and the the state's attorneys, you know, before her, were in bed with the FOP, were in bed with the you know department, and they even had their offices together. So you know, there was no examining you know police misconduct, et cetera. Um, So when the FOP was out in front of Kim Fox's office, you know harassing, protesting, et cetera. You know, I was a part of that counter-protest. And, you know, uh, since then, I've been working with families who also have lost loved ones to gun violence. And she's been very intentional about having uh, community um, sit-downs with them to hear their concerns, to hear about their cases, to hear about, you know, the progress that they're making or the roadblocks that they're seeing. And I don't know any other state's attorney that's that hands-on. Uh, with as many cases as th- that she has. Also, um, her divergent programs, uh, you know, her programs where she's trying to cut down on youth recidivism and youth incarceration, um, you know, looking at restorative justice models, and then, you know, thinking about wraparound services, right? Her office can't offer drug treatment or restorative justice, but she can make recommendations to community-based organizations Uh, So I think she's been going above and beyond in her office to make sure that, you know, justice is being met out and mitigated and that uh, she's being hypercritical of, you know, an inherently kind of racist, oppressive criminal justice system and to be able to kind of navigate through that. So I just say all that to say that I think folks really need to get behind Kim Kim Fox, making sure that she's reelected. And you know she's going to be, I think, more accessible than ever to push forward and, and make sure that progress happens in our state. So, do
1: you, do you think she will get reelected?
2: I think so. I think, despite all the money that Conway has, and despite you know the the negative messaging and them trying to like bury her with the the Jesse Smollett case, uh, I, again, I, I think people are more intelligent and savvy than that. And if they look at her record, I think they'll be impressed by that. The smear campaign that's happening against her right now.
1: And who do you think the state is going to go for in terms of the presidential candidates?
2: Um, I'm I'm curious to see where the the power brokers go. Uh, you know, I can see definitely Illinois is going to Bernie, but I think if Madigan, if Pritzker, if Mayor Lightfoot, if they all fall in line and sort of tote the 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 Biden bandwagon. I'm curious to see how much influence that's going to have over the state, but I, I think Illinois is uh, left enough in, in understanding, uh, again, about the policy that Bernie, Bernie is offering up that I think that they will be open to having Bernie for president, but again, I'm curious to see where the power brokers are going to fall and what their rationale is going to be and then how are they going to spend that to the public. Mm. Don't
0: worry. Well, um, it was close last time in 2016, it was 49 to 51. So he got 49% and, and Hillary Clinton got 51. So that was a close race. Of course, we have more people in the race this time. And if you look at uh, the divide, um, you have more of the party leaders and establishment who are going with Biden. Uh, and you have uh, what surprisingly is a lot of Roms people Rom's supporters, Rom's friends, Rom's financiers, are going with Bloomberg, mm-hmm. and that's black and white uh, mm-hmm. are going with Bloomberg. So I think that's very interesting. Not that he's done anything for them, but you know they're they're running buddies and they're they're the elite, and so they're all friends. Um, You know, then you have, I mean, I think Elizabeth, certainly, Elizabeth Warren is certainly making inroads here and has made inroads because she has shown up for, I mean, the the CTU strike and other things. She's been here. Um, She's now running commercials, as we see here in in Illinois. So I think she, you know, has a, will make a good showing, not necessarily the 15%. I'm not sure if that'll happen but she certainly will make a good showing. So I think that, you know, the race is really between, as far as I'm concerned, it's between Bernie Biden and, um, and Elizabeth Warren.
1: And what do you think about the Kim Fox uh, situation? Well,
0: um, I mean, there's no reason for her not to be reelected. I mean, she hasn't done anything in the, and the Jesse, Jesse Smollett is just a lot to do about nothing. Um, it's about two people being obsessed with themselves. Two men being obsessed with themselves. Jesse Smollett and Rahm Emanuel. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: so, do you think she'll get reelected? I'm hoping she'll get
0: reelected. She's she's making some inroads. She's doing well. Um, you know, uh, uh, Ben, I have um, a pack. Ida's legacy. And uh, we met over the weekend, and our advisory committee did, and we are endorsing her. And we're going to do everything we can to support her as well publicly. And, and, I, and uh, I was at her debate Friday at Channel 7, and, um, you know, she's a great debater. If you look at uh, Conway's commercials, they say nothing. In fact, all they are are parroting what she's already doing. Mm-hmm. But he's acting like he somehow discovered it, which is typical. Um, <laughs> especially when it's a black person. I discovered this. I discovered America. You all been here, but I discovered it. <laughs> um, so that's what, that's what uh, Conway is doing with $8 million of his daddy's money.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <sighs> so, Kim, for me, um, there is no question. Um, Conway comes out of Need Everest. She spent a lot of time messing up that office. Kim wasn't going to fix it in four years, but I think she's done some great things by overturning some of the marijuana convictions. She is accessible to young people and families. Um, I had a young man that get killed in my community, 13 years old, was about to graduate this year, and she supported that family. And so any time that people can be personal with these families speaks volumes, and she's very accessible. And so for me, Conway just wasting his daddy money. Because we because we are having those conversations. Y'all know how we are. I got a bunch of kids and every election they call me like who to vote for? I don't trust none of them, I don't know none of them. And I get that a lot. And so I'm gonna put them, put the people in that I know. And Kim, it's definitely worthy. I gave her my endorsement way before the end, not that it meant much. But I gave it to her because I just trust her and know that this is about her being a black woman. Don't leave that out of the conversation. You got a black woman over one of the largest municipal places in, in the the state of Illinois doing some real reform. And so this ain't just about Jessie Smollett, because she excused herself. She liked the hell with it and, and went on. And so what else was she to do? She was honest about it. She was transparent about it. What, what more could she have done? Nothing. Um,
1: and as far as the presidential race?
4: So you know it's Bernie for me all day long. Do you but, think the
1: state will go for Bernie?
4: Man, listen, Illinois is so funny. Like, Chicago is one ball of bad self, and then the rest of the state is so for me, you stop me when I'm wrong. <laughs> Chicago is like a mixed bag. You you never know what kind of can happen. But that's, in a perfect world to me, Bernie and Elizabeth, she could be the vice president if Warren. She could, it, in my world. Because I, I like what she talks about. She is a person that um, I kind of listened to over and kind of did my research on her. And I'm like, mm. She ain't left enough for me. She just not, but I, if, if both of them together, but I do agree Biden, because we love Barack. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it, but we, we love Barack, and so if Barack say he he go to some of us, don't not me, but to some of us he go, and so I I, I worry about it. No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the roots just
0: rated the. Uh, I don't know if you saw where roots just rated the uh, all the presidential candidates mm-hmm. and. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Warren got an 89 in terms of issues yeah. pertaining to black people. So she got the highest number in terms of ranking for addressing issues uh, affecting black people.
3: Yeah, we, well, we I mean, Delmarie, this sounds like an old conversation. We saw it happen in 2015 in Chicago. You talk about relational versus transactional, which is really on target. Rahm Emanuel came out of the, kicked him out of the White House.
4: Kicked opinion. him
3: out of the White House. Couldn't take another minute of it. But They did it in such a way it looked like they were giving him the blessing to go to Chicago. And it was still, the currency was still good in 2015 when he got reelected.
0: Well, remember in 2015, I know you know, I talked about that. I wrote so many columns about that, I was blue in the face. Uh, The fact that, first of all, we should have never voted for him. Fifty-five percent of black people voted for Rahm Emanuel. So, and yes, he was thrown out of the White House. But Barack Obama said, I'm going to let you take that video. And what you do with it is what you want to do with it. So if you want to make a commercial and make it seem as though I endorsed you, Mm -hmm. then that's fine too. And that's what happened. But really, the next election, 2015, is the one that was the most heartbreaking. Because you know it was like being married to an abusive spouse. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to beat you. But I'm gonna tell you I love you. Yeah, and honey, I wouldn't beat you if you didn't do that. You made me do that wow. to you. And that's what this man is beating us. Ram Emanuel's beating us upside our heads. And and then this man comes along, Barack Obama and says, Oh, but he's just being hard-headed. And we go, oh, okay, he's just being hard-headed. Okay, I'm gonna vote for him but you just got beaten. <laughs> I mean, you're bleeding. They closed 50 <laughs> schools. They closed six tw- they tried to close 12 mental health clinics and closed six, which was the deal. That's how many they wanted to close in the first place, but they figured they <laughs> you know I mean, so all these tricks being played on you, you know they're being played on you, and then suddenly because this man who you like says he's my friend and he's just being hard-headed. And he comes out with a sweater on and warm and fuzzy and does a commercial. And then the unions talk about rom Love, and which was the most insulting thing I'd ever heard. And then you say, OK, I know you beat me, but I know you're going to be better next time.
1: Yeah. Um, OK, well, so we're going to open it up to audience questions. But before we do that, uh, just a couple of announcements. First of all, we want to thank again um, the Promontory for hosting this event. Everybody, let's give the Promontory a round of applause. We also wanna thank our, uh, some of our sponsors, especially the Human Rights Campaign and Planned Parenthood who are, um, they have, there's literature in the back and uh, some tables set up with some political material, so everybody should check it out. And there's somebody, there's uh, Xavier Astors from the Human Rights Campaign is here um, who wants to say a few words so come on up here. Um, and then I'll update you all on the results of the primary so far. <laughs> Yeah, the lights are very bright, so.
5: All right. Um, hi, my name is Xavier Esters. I'm um, one of the board of directors for HRC, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest LGBTQ advocacy group. Um, I just want to thank Tracy and the Chicago Reader for providing this opportunity and this forum and platform. Um, it's been great thus far, and we appreciate that. Um, so we're just really here to support the event. Um, I just, as we know, this is one of the most important elections of our time. Uh, it really will be pivotal, pivotal, no matter who you support or who your candidate is, whether they're still in the race or not. Um, we know that this will be an important election. Um, in terms of uh, really what we're here to do, I think we're all here to learn more about our candidates and to support them in um, a way. Um, but really, we need you all to get out and do the work after today. Super Tuesday will come and go. Uh, but we know in order to really sort of impact change, we need everybody to be engaged. Uh, We have, just from an HRC perspective, there are 11 million LGBTQ voters um, and 57 equality supporters um, who vote. So we know that we can impact change just from an LGBTQ community. But this goes far beyond that, right? So we've talked about um, the the impact that this election can have on black people, women, uh, Latinx folks, immigrants. So we know that it will take more than one constituency to make change in this election. Um, So please uh, engage in this election, engage in this work. HRC, we will uh, have some sign-ups for you there in the back, but we need people to get out, Canvas, phone bank, uh, really share your stories and why you support a particular candidate, um, why you're engaged in this election, and we just really hope that you join us as we do this work in 2020. So feel free to see us in the back of the room there. There's some people waving with flags and such. Um, Come figure out how you can get engaged in this election. Um, and support us. And you can follow us um, on Facebook or on Instagram. But thank you again for this opportunity.
1: Thank you. All right, and uh, currently the, I, I'm just looking at the results that the New York Times is putting out. Uh, Vermont, as I said before, has gone to Bernie Sanders and Biden is being called, uh, the Virginia is being called for Joe Biden, as well as North Carolina and Alabama, they're being called for Joe Biden and uh it's getting pretty close for uh Biden wins in Maine, Oklahoma and Tennessee. Um but it's still a little bit early there. Um looked kind of promising for Bloomberg in Oklahoma, but I guess not anymore.
3: Uh Bloomberg <laughs> man. Uh,
1: so I guess yeah, let's uh let's do you did do, do you all any have any burning questions? Um for our panelists, about in general. Okay, right over there.
4: I hear a lot of things about the fake media. Um, as a black woman in America, the media has always been fake. So how does one distinguish
3: between the real fake media and the fake fake media? Oh, man.
1: Delmarie, you wanna take that as
4: a, as a, a media Marie consultant?
3: Question. She's been dealing with the media for a long time. Right,
1: fighting them
0: sometimes, and sometimes we're friends. Um, Well, I mean, look at who is saying it's fake media. Um, And I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons why I said that I don't care when you pick up a black newspaper, I don't care how big the paper is or how small the paper is, you're going to see a story in it that you have never seen in any other newspaper. And that's why the black media are so important. And it's unfortunate that we're losing them. So we always had to have the black media. Even if you had mainstream media, you still needed to make sure you had both. And one of the things, just the Chicago Defender is an example. I I had a subscription to the Chicago Defender as a business person because I could write it off too. And I told all my friends who had businesses, get the Chicago Defender so you can, it's a write off because we got to keep it we got to save it and people don't understand that and so we're now we're in this situation where all these papers no matter who they are 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 struggling to survive and so the black papers are going by the wayside and so that's why it's so important because it's about having our voice so you know all you can do is as they say go to whatever trusted media outlet you think Best represents or covers your community.
3: You have any advice about dealing I with was the media? Just
4: say, I don't trust none of them. I would rather go to Facebook hell <laughs> <laughs> and listen to a bunch of these folks. I think for me, it's more so the conversations and the people that I think I can't learn from. I'm actually learning from. Um, I'm always in a position to learn, and you're absolutely right about the defender, the crusader, and places like that. Um, I look forward to sitting in rooms um, with them just to learn the history, because I feel like sometimes the history gets lost. And so the thought that, and I always say, Harold Washington taught us what to do, we just didn't listen. When he died, we, we missed all the lessons. Think about tips, local school councils, all of the things that he implemented, we, just, we forgot about. They, they just got lost, and we're trying to get it back. But it's just important that we just have some honest, transparent conversations, and I don't think we have them enough. We ain't honest enough to say your auntie that potato salad nasty. Because we don't want to hurt her feelings, and we know she'll be upset, but everybody keep getting sick at the fair reunion You no know, potato salad. <laughs> so it's us being able to have those true conversations about people who didn't do certain stuff We got black elected who ain't done absolutely nothing. Let's call it out. Let's say what it is Not not I don't want to hurt your feelings. No, you ain't done shit You ain't you done absolutely nothing and you need to get out of office and so it's those those just real conversations. Looking at one of the things that organizers they used to drive me crazy with these report cards. We would go down to Springfield with these big report cards, and it would say everything they voted on, and then get an F. And I'd be like, "Why are we walking around with these stupid report cards?" But it's actually teaching me in the very hard conversations about and us talking truthfully about privilege. We we don't talk truthfully about privilege. It ain't just about white privilege. You got some black folks who think they privileged. And so it's us having those real, honest, co- and it's hard to talk about race. Ooh, it's so hard. The black woman is so underestimated. We just, and I, and I feel it all the City Hall, every day to the point I'm like, I'm about bad t-shirt to say I hate it here. Cause I just, I can't believe it's this hard. And so thank you for being in those spaces. I don't I don't know how you did it for a year. And I'm like, oh Lord, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Cause <laughs> this, this is not where it at. I don't want to be in a space where I'm ineffective and we're not being transparent. And so don't go, because it definitely got a bunch of fake news, but definitely the black papers and us just having the real conversations We got to go to some of these people you 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 got a problem with Ken Fox don't talk to her She ain't unreachable. She a person you can talk to Bernie Sanders their campaign have, has been very out there I've had a whole bunch of questions because to your point the reparation question got me like bro You better figure out reparations. You better figure out. I'm ready for my forehead getting you So I need you to figure out that conversation
3: by the way, uh, I noticed that uh, a pattern, North Carolina Biden, Virginia Biden, Alabama Biden, South Carolina Biden.
1: Tennessee
3: no. Tennessee Biden? Yeah.
1: Well, it's le- yeah. It, OK,
3: Bernie's not winning any of these states. Bloomberg, nowhere near.
1: But Bernie's leading in Texas.
3: Bernie's winning in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Not uh, really? 36% yeah.
3: so far. So, yeah. I look, yes, you, you just said it. <laughs> yep, uh, I
4: was just thinking of it. Latino
3: vote in Texas and Delmarie, Kofi, Jeanette, this is black power. Let's think about this for a moment. The Democratic Party was going in one direction and then black people voted. Now, as a result of black people voting, Klobuchar dropped out of the race. Mayor Pete dropped out of the race. Little Tommy Steyer dropped out of the race. Okay, this is black power. Now, the problem as an outsider looking in, as I have been for 40 years, is that it never ends. This is where it ends. It ends with, okay, Joe Biden is the recipient of black votes in these key states. That scares the other moderates out of the race. There's a consolidation around Joe Biden, and he becomes the favorite unless he can beat left the unless the lefties can get their act together, which is a long time left. They can tell you usually we don't. <laughs> but then there's no next step. Do you follow me? You, there's it's like Barack Obama got elected largely because of black votes. And then the first thing he did was sell out the country on health care and what community would have most benefited from a medicare for all plan than the black community but there was nobody in that room when the deal was being cut on health care that represented medicare for all it was all corporate interest insurance company and i know delmarie i sound like bernie right now but it's true
0: but you know where i am on that i mean we've had those conversations and and um, so one of the things I say, you talk about how I've stated, done this for thirty some years, is one, I don't fall in love with any of these people. Um, these people are here to represent me. I'm not here to fall in love with them. And part of the problem that we have is that as black people, we keep falling in love with them. We fell in love with Barack, which is, no, I didn't either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, because I knew him. Uh, And so I always tell this story. And I'm just going to quick, if I can just digress for a minute. So there's a story I told. So you can imagine in 2008, and whether you like Hillary Clinton or not is insignificant. I supported her in 2008. And so you can imagine that in 2008, I was interviewed by everybody in the world, because they couldn't believe a black woman who does politics, who lives on the South Side, in a black community who knows Barack Obama. Would vote would support Hillary, over him, so they all asked me one question. So are you supporting Hillary Clinton because you know her? I'm like, no, I'm supporting Hillary Clinton because I know Barack. Mm. <laughs> and 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 he and I were friends. So don't miss. Don't, again. That's why I said I'm not falling in love. We were friends, but I had a different viewpoint at that point because, in Springfield, and I tell this story all the time, and. Um, He was there for seven years, and in Springfield, there's a green button for yes, a yellow button for no, I mean a red button for no, and a yellow button for present. In seven years, he pressed the yellow button 107 times. So they asked Emil Jones, who was his mentor, who had been there 30 years, how many times he had pressed the yellow button. And he coyly looked at the reporter and said, never. Which says to me, you either have the convictions of your beliefs or you don't. You're either a fighter or you're not. And so I knew we were not sending a fighter to the White House. And that's why I did not support it. Because mm-hmm. whether you like Hillary or not, she's a fighter. And that's what I was supporting. Uh,
1: Kofi, did you have something to add about the prior question about the media or should we take another one? No, I just take <laughs> Uh other questions. There's also a mic up here so it'd be great if you came up to the mic. <laughs> All the way over there, would you come up to the mic? Okay. It's a long way. Oh yeah, updates, let's see. Uh uh not really uh Massachusetts projecting it's Leaning
3: Biden. Um, wow. Massachusetts, Massachusetts is
1: leaning Biden. Yeah. 34% right now. So you knew it, you? All right. You made it. No, I'm not Go ahead. Well, first, so... I wanted to thank the panel for being here tonight with us. Um, and so it's a two part question. Um, one is I was just curious what the panel's
4: opinion is on the electoral college and the state of the oh. electoral <laughs> college versus the popular vote. Um, and um, what was the other
1: part of that question? Um, yeah, so take that part first and then I'll think. Of, then yeah, it was such back, a, long so yeah, all right, a long trip. <laughs> By the time she walked up here. Kofi, you want to
2: start? Yeah, I mean, it, the electoral college is problematic for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess for me, like, My bigger question, and what I loved hearing both Elizabeth and and Bernie talk about eliminating um, Citizens United, you know, getting this unlimited cash, this, you know, money is speech kind of out of politics. Uh, To me, that and the Electoral College, I mean, you know, the oligarchs essentially run, you know, the government. Uh, It's very hard to conceive of it being a democracy, even a representative democracy, when you have money and those particular power brokers able to kind of leverage the way the elections are going. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to see the elimination of uh, how much money influences you know, this so-called democracy. I would love to see the elimination of the Electoral College, and I would love to just see like a real Popular vote kind of happened, uh, and it start earlier, and it you know w- was way more inclusive. The the other issue for me too is again just the education, like and accessibility. Like Jeanette said, there's so many people, especially young people, that they are just disconnected from you know politics. Uh, and I and I work with young people on a daily basis in, in different high schools across the city, and beyond their social studies and civics classes, is still this huge disconnect. And they don't even understand the process of how government works, no less uh, political positions and who you're voting for and why you should vote for this particular person and what their policies look like. So I I think there just has to be a complete overhaul of a lot of the mechanisms within uh, the American democracy. And there's so many different models to look at um, internationally that I think are successful that as long as we continue to have this sort of antiquated um, oligarchic plutocratic, white supremacist kind of way of doing things we're gonna keep seeing you know the kind of results that we're having now under the Trump regime
0: so yes it's an institution whose time has passed <laughs> We need to get rid of the Electoral College. I mean, how do you win the popular vote and lose the presidency?
3: Well, to me, the Electoral College is the symbol of the difference between Republicans and Democrats and how they play the game of politics. In the last 20 years, two times, two times, the Republicans have been the beneficiary of the Electoral College. So they could seize the White House, even though they didn't get the popular vote. It happened in 2000 with uh, W got to be the president, even though Gore got more votes. And it happened in 2016 when old Trump got to be the president and uh, Hillary got more votes. Democrats still have not picked up on this issue. They've lost twice to it, Delmarie, in 20 years. They still haven't picked up an issue, guarantee you had it been flipped, had Gore won the Electoral College and W won the popular vote, we'd already be facing uh, a, an amendment, a constitu- we'd be 20 years into the constitutional amendment fight because Republicans don't play. It's like the fair map thing. The biggest sucker game I've ever seen Democrats, they all we have to have a fair map, because Madigan tilts the map in favor of Democrats. Why would a Democrat make that argument? <laughs> I never understand my reformers' friends. They make that argument in Illinois, and they're all good Democrats that are like, they're gonna, in the next breath, they're going to tell me, oh, my God, I, I, can we just get someone to be Trump because I worry about judges? This is what they tell me. At the same time, they support a fair map. Why would you support a fair map? I mean, why would you want to give the Demo- Republicans a chance to draw the map? Are Republicans in Wisconsin giving Democrats a chance to, to draw a fair map? Are Republicans in Michigan giving Democrats a chance to fall? I'll f- support a fair map in Illinois when I see Republicans do it in, but that's in, in w- Michigan and Wisconsin. But that's not how Demo- Democrats play this phony game. Like we all just two minor differences agreement, but if you go work out your that's the Joe Biden thing, right? Is how many times you heard Joe? Oh, I can always work with Republicans. When is the last time a Republican has ever worked with a Democrat? Exactly. They didn't work with Obama. He gave them that watered down Obamacare, which is straight out of Romney care, right? And they still didn't vote for it. So I. Who I,
1: is the Democratic Mitch McConnell? Huh?
3: Michael Madigan. And oh, my God. In this, <laughs> they treat him like he's the devil. So. <laughs> Uh, the electoral college just, to me, shows up what a bunch of wimps the Democrats are.
1: Uh, so, as promised, the other part of that question was, um, what is the panel's opinions on term limits? Because I feel like a lot of people vote. So elected officials vote based on power and money, but none of that has to do with the will of the people. Um, so, what is the panel's opinion on term limits?
4: Please give us some term limits. Please and I'm there. It's like the black church. You know what I mean? The pastor's there. He there for 90 years. He died, and nobody knows how to run the church. And what happens? The church falls. It's the exact same thing that happened in politics. These folks sit here. Think about Burke. How long is Burke? Burke was in there before I was born. And tell me, what has he done besides keep up shit? Excuse me. Sorry, not really sorry. And so I believe in term (laughs) limits. I'm not. I believe in term limits. We, it's funny when Governor Quinn was going around talking about term limits, I just looked at him and was like, do you really believe in term limits? or it's because you lost. Uh, I wasn't quite clear, but I definitely believe you can't be there for 20, and then looking at people's voting record. Like, you've been there for 20 years mm-hmm. voting against the people you're supposed to represent. And that's something we don't even really get to pay attention to, because um, we. we uh, I agree 100%. I've come around on that.
0: I, initially, I was against uh, term limits. But as I said, you know, after 30 years of watching us not progress at all, as African-Americans and actually go backwards, I realized that we have to have term limits because these people are, uh, first of all, this is not an office. I did not elect you so you would get a pension. I don't care whether you get a pension or not. I I don't have one, so I don't care if you get a pension or not. So that is not why you're elected, so that you can be fully vested. You're elected so you can be fully vested in me and my quality of life. That's why I put you there. So we keep putting these people in office, and then care about how long they're there, for them, not for us. And so, I, I, and Daly was really the turning point for me, Mayor Daly, because when he first got into office after Harold Washington died, that first election, 1.3 million people voted in that election in 1989. Mm-hmm. When he decided he wasn't going to run again in uh, 22 years later, that last election, he had about 300, a little bit over 300,000 people voted. Hmm. So that means that in that length of time, 1 million people took themselves out of the process. They walked away from the process because they didn't feel they were going to win. They didn't feel that anybody was paying attention to them. Their needs weren't being met. And yet he still got in, because nobody cares if you get in with 1.3 million or 300,000. You won. Mm -hmm. And so that's why term limits are important. you got to get these people out. And if we don't know how to get them out by voting, then we need to get them out by term limits.
1: Kofi, where are you
5: on term limits?
2: Term limits, definitely. uh brother named William Calloway was trying to also take it a step further, Uh, he's trying to push a bill called the Laquan Law, which essentially, for example, when Rahm Emanuel covered up the murder of uh, Laquan McDonald, um, that type of law would go into effect where the people would actually have like a recall power, uh, where they would be able to go and vote on if this person is still should be in office. So uh, I'm feeling term limits, absolutely, and you know, I, I think we need to have other powers as a collective to be able to say that this person is no longer fit to service us. Uh, personally, right now, you know, I think Bobby Rush needs to go. Uh, I think he's been in there too long and he's not doing anything for people. Uh, I like Danny Davis as a person, but I think he needs to go as well. Um, and that's just on our on our state level. So. There's so many examples across the country, Uh, like she said, with with John Burke. Um, People just need to go. (laughs) They've been there too long, they're ineffective, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's problematic.
1: So if I may uh, uh, advance a a contradicting viewpoint here. I I I had not thought of this until I read the Girl, I Guess, progressive voting guide put together by our friend Steph Scora, Um, but uh, Her position is that term limits are uh, not necessarily helpful because if you establish term limits, what happens then is that especially for... You know, congressional seats or uh, Illinois state house seats. These are very short terms, two two years that people get elected um, for two year terms. If there are term limits, that what happens if there's a lot of turnover in those seats? It takes such a long time for people to develop an institutional expertise, an understanding of how to build coalitions and how to advance how to advance legislation. That in the in a situation where where we set term limits and they're kind of too short, I guess. Um, y- what what you'll have is lobbyists running the game, who aren't elected at all, uh, and they will be the ones that are setting the agenda, that are training and educating newly elected officials. And um, I had not thought about this until I, I kind of read this perspective on it, but. Um, I mean to me it seems like there's maybe some kind of medium situation that you could have you know where you know maybe there's there's term limits so you can't be there you know since 1969 uh but or 1985 or whatever but uh but uh but there is some kind of limit um and then for senators you know who get elected for 6 years there's you know Maybe you can get some work done in 10, 15 years and then be on your way. No, I agree. And and I've often thought that it
0: was maybe 12 years would be long enough. To, so three terms mm-hmm. would be long enough to do whatever it is. Because I know how hard it is, especially in the black community, it is hard to get anything done. So you saw how quickly um, Lincoln Yards and, and um, what 78. 78 was done, mm-hmm. and yet you can't get anything done on the south side in that length of time. So in 30 years, it takes anything to get done on the south side. I mean, the Fifth Ward, it took, her, it took Leslie Harrison six years to get a grocery store. But we can, we can vote for mega projects mm, that are going to create open. brand new neighborhoods in a matter of months on the south side. So, I understand that part of it. And maybe, and so my compromise to that is certain offices. Uh, Because, you know, the New York mayor, it was two terms, then it was three terms under Bloomberg, he got it to be three terms. Um, The governor of Virginia is only two terms. I mean, we have to think it through and talk it through because I understand, you know, state offices, uh, state legislature, and congressional offices, it's about attrition. Uh, you know, you're there long enough so you can get seniority. So we have to think it through, but I do think that there should be some offices that have term limits because Daly should not have been in there 22 years. And I pray to God we don't have another um, mayor who's in office that long. And the only reason Rom left is that five days after the election, They tried to pay the mother of Laquan McDonald five million dollars five days after the election, which means, which lets you know they were doing that during the election, and they were praying to God it didn't become public before the election. Mm
4: -hmm. And they had to get the city council to vote
0: right. And it was the outgoing city council. Yep. The ones who weren't going to have any repercussions.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. Other questions? questions. Over here. All right. Would you come up to the mic, please? You have a shorter journey, sir. (laughs) Please don't forget your question. (laughs) I'll try. Uh, First, just thank you all for being here. It's really interesting, and I really appreciate it. So based on what we saw in Nevada and South Carolina and what we see so far tonight, it looks like if Biden wins the nomination, it'll be on the strength of the African-American vote. And that if Sanders wins it, it'll be on the strength of the Latino
5: vote. And how do you all feel about that? That's a <laughs> we Keep looking
4: at each other. Um, I'm gonna say something that I normally don't say, but anybody but Trump. I'm sorry, like it because it's such an up and down in 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 Bernie and Biden and the other folks that in the race. Like, we saw what Trump did and was nothing, I don't, I don't even call him that, I call him 45. I can't even call the man by his name. And so for me, the one, the one weakness that I hate that we do as folks is we'll vote Democratic. We don't care who it is after the, the, the fact. And that's just that's honest. We just, we gonna go with Biden. We know he ain't worth shit, but we gonna go with him because he, he got the nomination, it's the truth. Like, you think about it, nobody's voting for 45 here. Raise your hand if you vote for 45 exactly you don't see no hands so it's gonna be who gets the nomination but I think uh to Marie's point how do we change that how do we get to a place where we just ain't voting blue just because we Democrat they're Democrat like I voted for Jill Stein I ain't gonna even lie and I'm definitely not green <laughs> but I voted for her because I like what she had to say and I, I trusted her word and at the time I couldn't go for either other person for various reasons so yeah I, So somebody asked me this
0: question today um, about black people voting for, in the South, voting for uh, one vote, voting, period. Why is it that they vote, it seems like they vote, and on the strength of their vote, Biden is flourishing? And we here in the North are, well, maybe, as you said, we might, we might not. And I think part of that is that they're closer to, what happened during slavery. They're closer to Jim Crow than we are. For many of them, Jim Crow was just, you know, that we're only talking about the 60s. And so you've got family who understand, who lived through that, who are still talking about that. You know somebody, you know a relative, you know a friend, it's being discussed at home. All of those things are being talked about. I mean, it was talked about in my house. Uh, my great-aunt, who was born in 1895 and was the matriarch of our family, I heard all of her horror stories about being pulled out of school in third grade and made to stand on a, stool because she, uh, a box because she was an incredible cook, and she cooked for white people, and she left the South at 15 and promised she would never work for anybody white again in her life, and she died at 95, and she didn't. And so I heard those stories, and those stories me, which is why I've been working for myself for 30 years. So that's what drives them to the polls. We can't say to the people here in Chicago, oh, people die for the right to vote. That means nothing in Chicago to young people. But you say that to somebody in the South, and it means everything to them. So we have to understand, they're co- we're coming at it from two different places. And that's why they're turning out in droves. They turn out at 96%, at eight, 98%. And they're making change. Doug Jones owes his mm-hmm. win in the Senate to black women who voted at 98%. Uh, the, the,
3: about the question, that's a, I don't have an easy answer to that question. Uh, That's the question, the specific question was the fact that Latino Democrats are going with Bernie and black Democrats are going with Biden. Uh, It reminded me when when the gentleman asked the question, I had a flashback to 2015 mayoral election when uh, it was lefties and Latinos for Chewy and black voters and uh, moderates for Whatever, I don't know what else to call them, moderates, and, uh, and that would prevail. And if I just do it on sheer numbers, I'd say the advantage is to Biden, because there's more black voters than Latino voters. Uh, and so that's a bigger coalition. The why of that question, I'm not to I mean,
0: of. even if you look at just recently, I mean, and, and I voted, I was with Miguel de Valle. I worked his campaign. I worked, uh, I mean, I supported uh, Chuy Garcia. Um, but if you look at, uh, even locally, the question of the cannabis becoming uh, recreational marijuana going on sale uh, in Chicago on January 1st, you had the black aldermen fighting it. The Latino aldermen, some of them supported it, but they didn't fight it. They weren't vocal. They, you know, so they weren't standing up arguing, making enemies. The black voters, the black aldermen were, the white voters didn't support them at all. So you just look at where the divides are. Uh, Black people didn't didn't support, and it hurt Miguel de Valle because, because he was very close to. Harold Washington. You talk,
3: wait, you're about 2011 with Miguel Devalle mm-hmm. or 2015 King with Chewy? He was Chewy. Yeah.
0: And it hurt Miguel yeah. De Devalle. Personally, mm-hmm. it hurt him yeah. because he was friends of Harold Washington. Yeah. They were close. It hurt Chewy because yeah. he was friends of Harold Washington, and they were very close. And so for black people not to even give them a look, a, a second look, yeah. really was hurtful. But that's because, again, the system has set it up so that people on the bottom are always fighting each other. I mean, daily HDO, the reason there are a lack of black people working in jobs downtown right now, which the middle class for black people has always been union jobs and city jobs. The largest employer of black people is the government, whatever government it is. Mm -hmm. And so when you start removing black people from these jobs for Latino, residents, and that's what HDO was all about, and that was one of the things that Daly did, you create this chasm. And when black people go outside and see the workers in their neighborhood, and they're all Latino and they're not black, then you're, you, and you're standing on the corner unemployed, and you see nothing but Latinos in your community working, good jobs you start to dislike the Latinos. You don't realize it's not them. They're, they're working a job. They're doing what they were hired to do. It's the system that put them there that makes sure that there's a wedge between black and brown people. And that's why it's always going to be that divide. Until we understand that we need to be together, there's more of us, black and brown people, than there are of other.
3: Well, what you said about relational is so true. And uh, it's really coming true right now as we speak. I'm looking at every one of these states. This is the black vote in North Carolina, Virginia, Alabama. I'll just say, repeat it. And Texas is a near draw The last I looked. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, Te- well, Texas is like 27% for Sanders now and 25 for Biden. Um, Kofi, do you have anything to add in response to the gentleman's question? Or.
2: Um. No. Nah.
1: This black-Latino divide? Nah, they, they no. <laughs> <laughs> Are there other questions? All the way back there, you're going to have to make the trip. <laughs> Come on up.
3: I speak really loud.
1: Yeah, so uh, meanwhile, uh, Massachusetts is now 33% for Warren. So, oh, so she's. Le- She's okay. doing okay in her home state. Okay. Um, yeah, 20, Texas, 27% for Sanders. Every uh, Yeah, the other states reporting so far, yeah, all leaning to Biden except for Vermont. You're here. Go ahead. Um, my question is around the: what are the most effective tactics for thinking about how to get the word out, how to educate people about... What people's actual stances are. Um, thinking about door knocking is something that has been kind of a staple, but in the modern era, people not answering their doors, people using cell phones, people being afraid of strangers, are there any tactics that maybe people are overlooking or should be that you guys would recommend us think more about in terms of trying to spread the world word out farther and really getting good information to people?
2: Well, again, I I guess it just depends on what community you're trying to reach. Uh, I mean, I I think the old school, you know, organizing is door knocking, uh, getting to the pulpit, um, you know, meeting people where they're at. I guess I'm more curious around the, you know, so for example, I I think about, well, I personally haven't been on like Facebook in over two years, but I, I just remember like, if you would get an invite to a Facebook event, it'd be so many people that would say yes or maybe, and then you have like five people actually show up, right? So this idea of how reflective is social media um, to people actually showing up in the real world to you know, make action. So you know, if, if you just look at social media, there, there's, so much, there's so many opinions and so much movement in pushing certain candidates but I, I'm just curious is if that actually translates to people turning out to the polls. Uh, because to me, that can be a great tool uh, that isn't you know, so much um, biased by any particular group but you know, can be a fair playing ground to get the word out and the message out. But then we, you know, we, we learn more about these algorithms and uh, the ability to like, influence people uh, one way or the other. So, to answer your question, outside of like the traditional norms of what folks do, and then by looking at traditional media uh, and social media, I don't know what more you can do other than to me, again, it's going back to our educational system. I I fear that, you know, in grammar school and high school, uh, there just isn't a strong enough civics class that can motivate and engage young people to prepare them. Uh, to me, there should be automatic, you know, voter rolls. Uh, that you know, if we ever get our education institutions up to par, you know, I think young people as young as 16 should be able to vote. Uh, but we have to engage that population and make them lifelong participants in the political process, or we end up being older and not necessarily knowing too much about particular things and going to a, a booth to you know, vote off of name recognition. Um, Me personally, um, I voted for the first time last year because I'm a felon and I didn't know I had the right to vote in Illinois, right? So it wasn't until, you know, I was educated uh, on a lot of different things that I became more politically active. Um, And then to me, I didn't see much value in politics. I, I, I saw more value in people trying to organize and reimagine things and recreate things versus kind of going towards the the more status quo type of stuff. So I I think there's a lot of barriers that we have to look at, and unless we are willing to take on those challenges and change some of those norms, uh, you know, history is going to repeat itself.
0: (laughs) So uh, as somebody who does this, um, I believe in old school and technology. It's not, one was not supposed to replace the other one. It was supposed to supplement the other. And what we see is, I have a fight with all my young candidates now, because uh, they think I'm crazy when I say you've got to get a landline. And they're like, why? (laughs) And I said, well, um, the caller ID says friends of so and so, so and so. And people see the caller ID, because they all have caller ID. And that's what you want them to see. You don't want them to see 50 calls from area codes that are not Chicago. Because they're not going to answer them. They're not going to answer them. So that's a wasted call, and it's a waste of time. And they're not going to call, and if they call back and get a burner phone, then that's a waste of time. So get a landline. So I'll give you the story about we ran against each other in the last race. (laughs) So the young woman that I was uh, uh, supporting or representing, she was 29 years old. So the first time we did a robocall, she she got to announce that she was having the grand opening of her campaign office. She got 100 calls back in 30 minutes. All seeing her name friends of Nicole Johnson she was blown away she was like oh my god I haven't talked to that many people the whole time I've been in the office and I said see that's what I'm telling you this was not a either or it's an and both when I was doing Hillary Clinton's campaign I spent the first two weeks I was her Illinois press secretary in 2016 and the first two weeks I spent they kept talking about metrics metrics I'm like metrics and I spent two weeks on metrics and I said, I called them up and I said, I'm not doing this anymore because this is not how you run campaigns. And if she had done in 2016 what she did in 2008, she would be in the White House now. Mm. So of course, I became the old woman who didn't know nothing about computers. <laughs> and I use computers every day. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, I'm just the old woman who doesn't know anything about computers because I'm not doing metrics anymore. And she saw her lead in Illinois go from 40 points ahead to what I said to you, which was 49 to 51, because they didn't do any of the old school stuff until that last week, because then they got scared and they saw their lead slipping. So it's not, you have to do the old school, you have to knock on doors, you have to do field operations, you have to do robocalls, you have to do phone banking, you have to do social media, you have to do so much more now than you ever had to do. Believe me, my, it, my life has changed completely in 30 years. And on top of that, add early voting, which means now you front load the election four weeks. So now I've got to do everything I had to do four weeks earlier and you have a campaign that doesn't have money, imagine what that does to a candidate who has less money or is not able to raise money. So we have to think about all of these things that nobody's thinking about because they're only thinking about convenience. But they actually have an impact on people's campaigns.
1: But, but isn't early voting like a, a good thing for kind of democratizing the election and voter access and
0: you can to find, combat voter suppression? You can find other ways for convenience. Uh, four weeks. When you move a, f- a campaign for up four weeks, it has an impact on a campaign. Imagine if you're the candidate with no money. Imagine if you're a brand new candidate. This is your first time running, and now everything you had to March 17th. Now you've got to February 17th. No, that has an impact, and it certainly has an impact on me because now I have to do everything four weeks earlier than I would have done it.
4: So Ann and in both, um, I knocked 80% of my own doors. And one of the things that made me one of the popular people was I gave people my personal cell number. Now you say, who in the hell? And my campaign manager was just like, you are out of your damn, man. <laughs> You're going to have to get a new number. But I did because I wanted people to be able to ask me questions. I wanted to be very personal with them. I didn't want it to always be about the campaign. They want you at every birthday, bar mitzvah, you name it, they want you there. And I was just able to show up. And sometimes it's not about knocking doors to say, could I get your vote? My early door knocking was to be on my platform. So asking people what you thought of the last alderman, what you like that's going on with your ward, what are the services that you're suffering with, um, how do you see this office being an asset to the community? And so I did that very early on um, in the race, and it helped me. And, like, it was four people. We had no money because I hate fundraising. I hate asking other broke people for money because I'm broke. So it was something I didn't like doing. I hated it. They paid somebody to help me do fundraising because I hated it. Shout out to Hope. But I, it's all of those things and us us doing fun things. Don't always come to me talking about a vote and we ain't doing nothing fun. Um, and organizing, that's one of the things I did with the parents. We went out to eat. We talked. I had to listen to their problems, that type of stuff. But it was relationship building so when I said something to them and so I'll use the example of ERSB I was able to convince parents who'd wanted nothing to do with Springfield to get on a bus with me for them hours to ride down to Springfield and tell elected officials we need this now. What's the ERSB from elected them? representative school board because we need it like day before yesterday. But you gotta do and a board and a social media presence. Social media could be the devil. I hate to say it, but it's what young people use. It's what they look today, faking real news. It's, and so it's, if we're trying to get them engaged, we got to do and and both, and I agree. Those personal relationships, you know how many times that I had to get up from the office and go to somebody's house? Because they call me and say, hey, I got your flyer. I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. They're like, this is where I live. Like, you really want me to come to your house? And I would go. Like, it wasn't, look, I lost a lot of weight during that election. <laughs> I was like, I need all my cookie calories back for this walking. <laughs> but it was worth it. Because now I'm in a space where these people know me. I have a personal relationship with them. I see them on a consistent basis. And we don't agree on everything. My ward is a mixed bag, and you know for yourself. Woodlawn is his own ward by its damn self. And then there are other parts of the 20th Ward. And so it's this and and both. And it's us not always asking people to do something. Sometimes it's taking in information. Our people, we want to vent. So many people, I got to their house, and all they did was cuss about what didn't happen and go, I was going to vote for you anyway. And And I'm thinking in my head, like, but I had to come to your house for you to (laughs) tell me that.
0: But an example of that is that in the race we were in together against each other, there were 15 people in that (laughs) race initially. And we wound up being the last two people standing. Mm -hmm. And it was because of old school methods.
4: True story.